Okay, well, good morning again, everyone. Welcome to City Hope. Thank you for joining us. I feel like we should have gone, given City Hope rather high the second opportunity. You were put on the spot first of all, weren't you? So who had a good time at City Hope rather high? Yeah. Oh, no, it was... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Never mind. So, well, as Dan said, we're starting a new uh, series, a six-week series. Now, uh, across the academic year so far, since September, at various points, we've been talking about being the people of God in a post-Christian society. And, and this slide, if you like, this title has gone with our um, One Peter series, which is sort of been spaced out at different points in the year um, because the context that particular Bible letter is written in uh, parallels our society quite well to Christians in the sense of our society is not as Christian as it used to be, whatever we mean by that exactly. And uh, we've been teaching on that. But actually, this Money, Sex and Power series uh, is still very much in that context, isn't it? It's very much in that vein that um, the world around us, our society at large, sort of general culture, their attitudes towards money, sex and power are quite at odds. Uh, it's pretty easy to say, really, with where God and the teaching and the Bible comes on the attitude towards money, sex and power. And of course, we find ourselves, as Christians, wanting to be people of the book, learning from God, being obedient to him, seeing what the Bible teaches, but also, to a greater or lesser extent, products of our society, arguably caught in the middle a bit, trying to figure out what our attitudes and um, lifestyle should be in these sort of big three headings, money, sex and power. And so hopefully over the next six weeks, we are all going to be encouraged and challenged to move a little bit more out of the society where culture we're sort of in some ways we are a part of. And yet, of course, we're not a people of the world, are we? We're called to, you know, people of uh, God's kingdom now. Uh, yet it influences us and challenges us in different ways, but to grow into what does the Bible say to us? How does he challenge our attitudes? How does God, through the teaching of the Bible, challenge our attitudes and our lifestyle? So we've got two on money, two on sex, and two on power. Um, and actually, just we'll, they'll all be a little different. The second uh, sort of Sunday on each of them won't be, if you like, a, just a simply a talk from the front. So I'm going to preach about money and giving and Christian attitudes today. Then next week, it's going to be a bit more practical. We'll get a bit of testimony. We'll be looking at how City Hope does things a bit and, you know, get a bit more practical, if you like. And then Dave's going to speak um, on sex from the Bible. And then we're going to have a panel of elders the following week about where the church stands on certain issues because it's a very hot topic in our society. That evening as well, myself and Stu Ferguson will have um, a particular Sunday evening meeting. We're going to look at what the Bible says on homosexuality and talk about that and our approach to that as a church, uh, to the world around us. And then Paul's going to speak on power, and then finally we'll hear people, some of their testimonies of their usage and abusage of power. So that's the sort of plan for the next six weeks. But so today, we're looking at money. So all these things, money, sex, and power, you might say can be thought of as idols it, it for people, that people want more of them, feel they'll give us satisfaction or happiness and, and in a broad sweep of things, the Bible wants to challenge that and say, no, it's only God that really gives us satisfaction or happiness, you might say. Not a, a word used exactly in sort of biblical terms, but the satisfaction life comes from God and not from any of these things. And all these things can be used wrongly. 
Actually, most people, I think, would agree with that, that people can be greedy and selfish with money, people can abuse people sexually, uh, you know, people can abuse power. Nobody's really going to disagree that all these things can be abused, but how are they rightly used? How is money, a sense of generosity, rightly done to, to, um, to be providing these for people, to bring equality rather than inequality? How is sex used to bring genuine intimacy and strengthening to relationships? Uh, either the right use of sex, or if you like, the right non-use of sex, abstinence as well, which is a big part of what the Bible teaches about sex, if you're not married. And power. God, who has all authority in heaven and earth, wants to see power rightly used to bring freedom to people rather than locking people up, doesn't he? So these are all things that are powerful things and can be rightly or wrongly used. Now, as we come to money, we're going to be looking uh, across a passage in the New Testament by uh, a letter, New Testament letter written by a guy called Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, to a church in Corinth. And he wrote two letters to Corinth, or at least there's two recorded in the Bible. He actually wrote others. Um, so the, in the book of the, in the New Testament, there are two books called 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. It's quite a large section. Uh, and what I'm looking to do is dip into his teaching to the church on attitudes towards giving and money and God. Uh, and draw out some points on that. So we're not going to sort of look at the whole passage uh, as such. We're not going to sort of go through it. We're going to dip into it. And the basic premise I want to get to here for us as our attitude towards money is that giving money is a normal part of Christian life. That's not very sexy or exciting, is it, in some ways? Uh, it's just, it's very ordinary. But money, it, giving money is a normal part of the Christian life. And in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 11, right in the middle of some of his discussions on this, Paul says to the Corinthians, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Now, so I plucked this verse out a little bit. So the immediate context Paul's in is he is trying to stir up the Corinthian Christians to take up a collection, an offering, to be sent to uh, poor Jewish Christians. The Corinthians were comparatively well off. The Jewish Christians elsewhere, um, in around Jerusalem, Judea, rather than these guys in an, an area called Achaia, uh, they, were, they, they were very poor. They'd um, been through um, famine and stuff, and they were in trouble. They had very uh, deep physical needs of which money would really help alleviate and Paul was helping to wanted the Corinthians to give uh, to this to the relief fund essentially so when he says now finish the work what he means is now take up the offering get the, he's been prepping them for it and it gets mentioned in 1 Corinthians the Corinthian church gets distracted in between the letters for a whole host of reasons they're coming back to Paul's way of thinking on a whole number of issues, so he writes 2 Corinthians to them, which includes this offering. So that's why it's got this now finish the work thing. It's been an ongoing conversation. He says to them, now finish the work. Give the money. Give the money. You're eager to do it, but you've got to therefore complete it, and very practically according to your means, proportionally. So it's a clear uh, message to give money. He's saying to them, give the money finish the work. You can't really argue too much around that, but Paul's approach to tackling this subject 
um, is still very broad and, if you like, very God-orientated that we're going to see. But we've got to bear in mind that it's very, very clear that he wants the Corinthians to give money. And that's why I say at the top, giving money is just a normal part of Christian life. It's part of what Christians do. It's straightforward and as simple as that, you might say. Now, I don't know where you are in the room now in terms of your thoughts on giving, financial giving, your thoughts on money, uh, even what you've done up to now in terms of giving and financial generosity. Maybe you have never, ever given any money, or at least to City Hope. Maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe it's because you've just walked in the door for today, which would be understandable, but maybe you've never given money. You've never, the, the offering basket, if you like, has just always passed you by. You've taken the mint. <laughs> maybe you have dipped in your pocket occasionally, I'll have some money in my back pocket today, and you've put in. And you thought, okay, well, there it goes, that's what I've got in my purse, my wallet at the time, and in it goes. Uh, a bit sort of sporadic in that sense. It depends, you know, literally if the offering basket even makes it past you sometimes or something. Maybe you ha have set up, if you like, a lifestyle pattern or beginning to of regular giving. It's thought out. You've sort of got an element of this is what I want to accomplish and do. Uh, you might do it electronically, because every so often we talk about that, don't we, give by standing order, so the offering basket goes by, but you know you're giving monthly or weekly, the electronic banking in the 21st century world that we live in, but you, you are a regular giver to the church. Maybe you would even count yourself as getting to a place of, you have engaged with this subject before God on your heart, and you might be described as a, a sacrificial giver. It's not just regular in one sense, you're, you're constantly engaged with this thinking, how can I release what God has given me to meet the needs, as, uh, needs of others, even at immediate cost to myself, because that is what I want to do, that is what I feel God's got for me. And you could be described as a sacrificial, a sacrificial giver. So I'm not sure where you are in the room, where your sort of stance is even or what your attitudes might be to it. Maybe you're sort of thinking, I don't want to give. I don't want to give any money. Maybe you feel like you just simply have to give, but it's a bit begrudging. Maybe you think we talk too much about it. Maybe you think we don't talk enough about it. I don't know. You hear all sides of things. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, I'd like to, but I can't afford to. I just can't afford to. I'd like to give some money, but I hardly have any. I can't do it. Maybe you're worried about life from a financial point of view. You know, the various bills you've got to pay, your rent, uh, your mortgage. Maybe you're worried about your holiday. Maybe it's much more immediate and poignant than that. You're worried about food on the table and just keeping the lights on. You know, I, I, you will all be in different places. Maybe you feel that your money is your money. I worked hard for it. It's my money. I want to use it for myself. I want to enjoy life a little bit. I want to spend it on myself and enjoy it. I don't want to waste it. Where, where is this giving money going anyway? What is that doing? Is it, is it being wasted? Is it being used wisely? I want to do something with it. Maybe you do love giving. Maybe you feel, I want to grow in it. I do want to give more. I want God to give me more faith for that. So we'll all be in a different place and different things going on in our hearts and indeed our actions and life. And I hope that as we look at some of Paul's teaching today, 
It will challenge all of us, wherever we're at, to think clearly about what God's got for us and maybe to make some changes in our heart and in our lifestyle so that there's a real practical end result of it. So where Paul says to these guys, now finish the work, there'll be a sense in which we step out and we give. And they've sort of finished the work moment. This was a one-off offering that sense. And next week, when we look at things practically, in some ways, we were talking about the sort of regular sense of giving and church finances. So I have five um, headings where I want to draw out elements of what Paul teaches about money and giving that I hope will help us this morning. So first of all, God is a giver. God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Just to say a quick reminder, all the, I haven't put 2 Corinthians every time, uh, but all the chapters and verses in 2 Corinthians will either be chapter 8 or chapter 9. So this is chapter 9, verse 8. And again, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness so you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's speaking about God. Paul's perspective in giving is that God is a giver. This won't be a big surprise to many of us, that God gives. It all comes from God. The subject of money and Christians giving financially or church giving or budgets or whatever, it should never be in that sort of felt context of somehow God's recruited you to follow Jesus and now he's having a whip round because he's got a few needs going on and needs a bit of our cash. Let's pass it around again. I haven't quite got enough. Now the Bible perspective I mean, across the whole of the Bible, of course, and indeed, even as Paul talks about money, is that God is sovereign. He owns everything. Everything comes from him. He is not poor or limited in any way. We're not helping God out. God, I'll give you a tenny if you want, if you need it, God. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. Everything we have, financially and otherwise, the Bible says has come from God. It's come from him. He's allowing us to sort of be part with him, participate with him. He's not after a helping hand. And sometimes maybe even as churches and so we can communicate that a bit. We need it, you know, we look at budgets next week, next week, whatever. But God is in control. And the sort of challenge there is like it's all coming from him. And in that sense, all belongs to him in the first place. You know, your your hard-earned money from your job. Well, God gave you the job, God gave you the... It really does ultimately all come from God and we need to adopt something of that perspective uh, on our life. It's all come from him. And we're not suddenly helping him out. A quote here from one of the commentaries I was reading. Perhaps nothing today is more radical to assert that God, not our own self, is responsible for all that we are and have. God does not need our money to further his causes. He is not dependent on us. God gives out of his sovereign self-sufficiency and love, not in order to receive back as if he needed anything. One of the things I change is we look at money, sex and power, I think um, in some ways a more talked about topic, you might say, in terms of Christianity as a whole and culture as a whole clashing is in the area of sex and sexuality and what we believe. And of course, that's a massively hot topic. But I think as I reflect on this, I still think in some ways deeper and more challenging in our culture is the sort of materialism, consumerism, attitudes to money that we as Christians need to somehow free ourselves from. 
we are not giving to God. He has given everything to us. And that must be our starting point. Giving is enabled by God's grace. So right at the start of Paul's argument to the Corinthians, he says, now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace, I've underlined that, the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So Paul starts off as he's going to encourage the Corinthians to give to the Jews. He's just going to say, look, these guys already did it. But the thing he starts off saying, I want you to know, is not primarily the generosity of the Macedonians, the amazing generosity where they've managed to give even though they've got very little in the first place. What he wants them to know is the grace of God. That's what's really key in this section. Clearly, the example of the Macedonians in some ways is very challenging. Should even, you know, 2,000 years on sort of speak to us a bit because we know fundamentally we're a fairly well-off, uh, you know, part of the world and society. So different people will be in different financial places. Uh, but many of us are doing okay financially and it will speak to us. But the initiation of the Macedonians' generosity was the grace of God. He stirred it up in them. It's come from God. Not only if you like, if I put this way, does God give us everything in the first place, he then gives us the grace to give what he's given us away again. It literally all comes from God. It is all about him. So much of Paul's perspective on giving is um, not so much about how well the Christians are doing, but what God has already done for us that releases us to be generous and to be uh, givers to others. We have received grace from God. And the more we understand that, the deeper we appreciate that, the more it touches our lives, the more we will be enabled to become a bit like the Macedonians. Paul never actually says to the Corinthians, copy the Macedonians, as it were, saying they gave extreme poverty, that's what you should be doing. It's not really what he's saying. He's saying, can you see the power of the grace of God and what it accomplished here? What can the grace of God do among you guys? What can the grace of God do? do among us, this God that gives us everything. Giving is part of the gospel message. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And then a, a different section of the argument. Because of the service, so I've underlined it again, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God the obedience that accompanies, accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. So we see here in the first verse, Paul preaching the gospel, and if you like, putting something of a money context. So here he's saying, look, remember what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, who was rich, meaning he was in, I mean, when you say rich, it's like an understatement. He's not like rich like Bill Gates or even King Solomon. He was the sovereign Lord enthroned in heaven, ruling over everything from all eternity past to all eternity, you know, future. He's just God with God, enjoying everything, all power and authority. Everything belonged to him. Yes, he was rich. And Jesus gives it all up, lays it all aside to become poor. He takes, he was incarnated, he becomes uh, a man and all its weaknesses. He submits himself 
to God's to obeying God as a man. And of course, ultimately, his poverty is demonstrated in he was killed on the cross, beaten, you know, blooded, died. He became poor. And of course, it's through that act of poverty, of giving up all his riches, sacrificing himself for us and becoming poor, that we become rich. So actually, now we have everything. If you like, in Christ as well, it's all ours as well. So it's all part of a gospel message, even it's put in that context of money. To, um, to be Christian, to be a follower of Christ, in some ways is to follow this sort of model. It's sort of part of following Christ. What's a Christian? What's obedience to the gospel? It's to follow Jesus, to look to become like him. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, guys, part of your giving is helping you become like Jesus, because he gave. He got rid of his riches, he became poor, and it's resulted in riches for you guys. We also, to such a small extent in comparison, it's not even worth comparing really, give up some of our riches uh, for others. It's following Jesus, it's an act of the gospel. And then you might say even more explicitly later on, he says, because of the service by which he's talking about the offering, the collection, but he doesn't call it the money collection, he talks about service, it's a service to others, a service that is obedience that comes as a confession of the gospel of Christ. For those who confess Jesus, saying, I'm a Christian, I follow him, there's an act of service to him in giving, in financial giving. There is a real sense in which Christians have to give. You have to give. Now, what do I mean by that? Not that you can somehow lose your salvation, or if, if you don't, that somehow we somehow have a salvation by works, you need to trust in Jesus and you need to give money. Certainly not tithing, a 10%, which Paul never talks about. Please, let's not fall into that trap. That's quite widespread, I would say, in certain church circles. So certainly not like that. But what's a Christian? Someone who wants to follow Jesus. There's a sense which a Christian has to pray. Well, we wouldn't say a Christian has to pray in terms of, like, you can lose your salvation if you don't pray. But isn't a Christian about God and relationship? Of course a Christian's got to pray if you like, to grow in God and become. Of course, a Christian has to engage in financial giving because it's like Jesus as a service that is partly proclaiming the gospel. And in so many ways, we, we would know that. When we hear of acts of generosity, of people giving in certain ways, uh, out of their Christian heart and love for Jesus, it does encourage us about the strength of the gospel message, doesn't it? We kind of even know that instinctively. And just, you know, I mean, this is, We've been in a great place as a church and the way the grace of God has moved on us for generosity has been uh, very encouraging. Not so long ago, we raised £40,000, which we were very encouraged with as leaders, which has gone off to the church in Guinea to help the church that is definitely poorer than we are, um, and where Dave and Leslie currently are, to help them buy land and establish church. And I think there's a real sense in which we know that's got something of a gospel service in it. We haven't just been nice there's been like a sense of gospel. This is about the glory of Jesus, the message of him, and our statement of what God enabled us to do and the way it will fuel them. There's all part of the kingdom extending and the gospel message going forward. So giving's part of the gospel message. There's a real sense in which we have to give if we're saying we're Christians. Giving is done joyfully and securely. I'm not sure how good my English is in saying that securely. I'll explain uh, what I mean, how we give securely. Giving is done joyfully and securely. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God 
loves a cheerful giver. Now, Paul, in this place here, has actually been quite practical because um, a few verses before he's been talking about how he wants to arrange the collection of the collection. And part of what he's saying here in terms of the joyful giving is that it's prepared and thought about. It's actually a very practical joyfulness rather than pressured. So if I finish this talk now and then say, well, line up, I'm going to put the offering basket under you now, that's pressured and not a particularly conducive to joyful giving, and I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it. So, you know, that doesn't really work, does it? Paul's saying, he, partly he's saying he wants the guys to think about it and to be prepared so that they can, you know, feel what is it you want to do. So there's this sense of you have to give, but it's called to be joyful giving. God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want it to be reluctant. And there's the stronger the uh, sense of joy we have in giving, obviously you can understand the, you know, the better that will be. Not just in terms of potential amount of what we're willing to give. In one sense, you know, that's almost a, a, a side benefit, possibly. But the sense of this is a good thing. God loves a cheerful giver. It's an act of what I want to do. And people who are able to give money joyfully against a backdrop of where we, our culture, would generally want to hold money and use it selfishly, I don't think many people would disagree with that. That's a lot of what society is about. Obviously, there's always exceptions, but that's kind of broadly true, is we have to know that we're securing God and got faith in God. If you like, and it comes out time and time and time in this passage, Across the whole of chapters 8 and 9, here Paul's put it, in, whoever sows sparingly, whoever reaps sparingly, whoever sows generously will always reap, also reap generously. Not necessarily material benefits, but across the board of our giving God. as a sense that we can be joyful and generous in our release of our finances because we know God will bless us and give us all the grace we need and all the security and faith and trust is in, in him. And I don't ne- believe that directly equates materially, if you like, you know, you give 10 quid, God will give you 20 back. But the overall sense is God promises to look after us. He does, doesn't he? He absolutely promises to look after us and meet all our needs and to take care of us. And he is our good father. And he will bless us and he's generous to it. I think there's, it is true, that sort of line. You cannot outgive God. We cannot outgive God. How can we? It's all come from him in the first place. This is in the first place. You can't outgive him. And the more we're able to accept that in a sort of almost like a lifestyle and an attitude that, um, that God's got our back, if you like, that we're secure in him, because the more that will free us up from worries about, you know, the mortgage or food on the table or whatever, not that we leave, you know, sensible planning behind or anything like that, the more we will be able to give joyfully and generously. I think if you find someone who you recognise, and obviously we don't broadcast these things, who recognise is consistently able to give sacrificially, you know, in a joyful manner, that they're consistently able to release some of what they have for the needs of others at immediate cost to themselves in a way that you might find quite breathtaking or encouraging or challenging, then I am really sure you will find somebody that is genuinely secure in God, that God is going to look after them, and they don't need to worry about a whole host of other things, and genuinely excited and joyful about doing that. Or else it just will not be maintained and as a sort of lifestyle of sacrificial, generous giving.
we might accomplish that once, you know, as a kind of, oh, just give, give quite sacrificially there. But unless there's a true sense of God has got me, he will be generous to me, and actually I'm really encouraged to want to do this. I have more joy in the giving than I have joy in the keeping and spending on myself, you might say. We will never develop lifestyles like that. And yet we can develop lifestyles like that. Which is, I, I find that as challenging as I hope you will find it challenging. Because even as I say, I think, really? Just think all the things, all the way money crowds in and concerns and worries and stuff. It's not really about amount. So even at the start, if you're feeling, yeah, I am even thinking, how do I keep food on the table? And your financial situation is at that, um, you know, uh, quite definite place. Then, you know, obviously you've got to consider those things and work that out, but it doesn't mean there can't be the, the genuine sense of sacrifice and giving as the grace of God touches your life, as he gives security and trust in him, and that grows in you, and there's a release of joyful giving. For a good number of us, I would think most of us will not be in the place where, you know, we're literally, mon money is that tight, um, and so it's, in one sense, it requires almost a bit more thought, you might say, and a bit more challenging. There's another... Um, quote here from the it was Scott J. Hefferman, for those of you interested, the commentator I've been reading. Under the law of our materialism, the sense of deserving what we have earned expresses itself by rewarding ourselves through spending our surplus on luxury. As a result, we find it almost impossible to be countercultural when it comes to money. You know, so even if it's not about, you know, how am I going to pay some of the bills, the whole way we think of our money and self and rewarding the culture around us, it's hard, I think it is hard for us to be freer to think, no, security is in God and finding joy, genuine joy, not in the next thing we spend money on ourselves, but in the sense of giving. And I'm not saying, of course, as I'm sure many of you are, that we should never spend money ourselves or enjoy life or do things like that. But our world around us is probably rampant like that. So what does it mean, even a sense of lifestyle that frees up our money, you might say, and we will never achieve that lifestyle, I don't believe, until we grow and keep growing in our security in God and a belief that giving can be a hugely joyful experience. Finally, it is really practical as giving makes a difference. There is an end to the giving. Here, it's um, meeting the needs of some Jewish Christians that are very poor. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And just to refer back again to our special offering that took that's um, given to the church in Guinea, and as for those of you who don't know, <coughs> help buy them a piece of land which will help really more establish the work that the church is doing out there. Um, so it's meeting the needs of the Lord's people and, you know, you think it's going to produce thanks to God as well. All the glory goes to God. He's the one that gave in the first place. He's the, got the grace for it. It's part of following Jesus. It's released as our security and joys in him. He gets all the glory. And hopefully even that will excite us 
to be quite practical about it, when, and partly next week we will be looking much more practically at things in terms of where we are in church. We will talk a few facts and figures and a few. Um, hopefully it won't be in sort of contrast to this morning so much as add a bit around it because we do want to be real, we do want to be practical. Paul was clear where he wanted the money to go that he was looking to raise for the Corinthians. And we want to be clear and wise and everything too, that it meets needs in a God-honouring way that ultimately will produce thanks to God. And one of the things, obviously, for us and our situation and how we want to use our money if like as a service to the Lord is that it will help send the, the gospel, get the gospel message out to people that really will produce thanks to God as more and more people come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We want to see that, don't we? And money's a part of that. It's part of our gospel life that makes a difference. Okay, so they're my five points. I hope you might not be able to remember all of them, but I hope you've caught something, uh, if you like, that God is speaking to you. So giving money is a normal part of the Christian life. It's just part of what our lifestyle and the life for Jesus should be looking like. Many of you, of course, are, are doing that. Maybe some of you are challenged to start that in some ways, what that should look for you. But I say, hopefully for all of us, as we just reflect again that it all comes from God, he's the giver, it's enabled by his grace, that it's part of the gospel message, really. It's part of our proclamation of gospel lifestyle and message. It's done, can be done joyfully and securely, and it makes a difference. It would encourage all of us to go back and to think again about our financial giving both the church and beyond, and generally our whole use of money and our attitudes towards it. Next week, we are going to be, um, say, looking more practically at things. We're going to be hearing from testimonies, from different people that oversee different areas of church life that cost money, if you like, because many of the things we do, what we obviously invest in. Uh, and at that point, if you like, so this is, um, in some ways, I hope similar to Paul, if I could push that, we'll be thinking about some practical responses to, our, uh, to giving to City Hope and to the mission we're on. And so this week, if you like, the practical response is, I would really love you to go away and to pray and to talk to God and to think about your giving to the church over this next week. And uh, obviously that can get lost in the business of the week and you know, we're not going to chase anybody up on it. But, but really that's the takeaway from today that I would like to say. We're going to get quite practical next week. In a sense, I've warned you, if I could put it that way, but hopefully it doesn't seem like a warning but an opportunity, uh, that we want to look at church giving and, and how we can grow in that. So be prepared, talk to God about it. This week just be praying it through and thinking it through. Where are you at? Where would you like to be? Which of the sort of five points, uh, you know, if any, I hoped really challenged you or spoke to you and encouraged you or strengthened you? Talk to Jesus about it. He is the one that has given us everything, hasn't he? And I know for many of us in this room, uh, we are really grateful to him and we want to live for him and serve him well. And I think we, uh, I, feel, I do believe there's even a sense of fear. Even as I talk that now, it's partly because I think there's a fear and how generous can we be? But what about, what does generous mean? Is it even just more and more money or is the attitude, it's like, I believe it does start with attitude first, um, but obviously you're looking for a release of finances, which this church has done, uh, you know, consistently all the years I've been here, 20 years and a different, you know, it's been great. We have a great track record in so many ways, but let's not rest on laurels in that sense, be challenged and stirred again. And 
you know, if you're even feeling a sense of fear, what can I, how much can I, please go again to some of the, read 2 Corinthians 8 and I go through some of the points I've raised. God, we should never be motivated out of fear. We can trust God for our life and our finances. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel a challenge in that as well. I, I t- you know, if Caroline, my wife, thinks it was a good sermon, uh, she might say, it was a good sermon, now what are you going to do about it? I'm dreading that conversation. You know, she's more generous than I am. But, so, but let's be challenged, let's be thoughtful. And this week, you know, with your, um, your spouse or, uh, you know, on your own or maybe with a mate, be prayerful and thoughtful about what that's going to look like for you in the next few steps, in the next future. Is that okay? Great, thank you. I'd like to just pray for us. Because it all starts with God. So, do you know, the verse I had in mind, not from Corinthians, as I was thinking about even this moment, praying for us, is it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Amen. And Jesus, uh, I, Lord, we want to say in just not a demoralizing way, but in a kind of real way, they know that we know there's a sense in which there can be more freedom in our lives around the whole area of money and giving, Lord Jesus. We look at the freedom that you have in emptying your whole life out for us, Lord, and going to the cross and dying for us, and then calling us to take up our cross and follow you in the same manner, Lord. And, and we admit, Lord, we've got space to grow, Lord Jesus. You, I think of that verse, it's for freedom that you have set us free. And we proclaim because you are the giver and you are full of grace, Lord, we can become free. We can be set free in different ways. We recognise that although there's good things going on in society, of course there is, there's a real sense in which society is not free with money, is selfish, is locked up in it, and we know that in some ways we're part of that society. We say, Jesus, will you let your voice and the activity of your spirit speak louder into our lives, Lord Jesus, so that we can become freer. Please help every one of us, Lord God. Lord, that the, the, the result in some ways of this and next week isn't so much more money, but a sense of increased freedom, Lord Jesus. Liberty, part of the proclaiming of the gospel, that we are free from the things that shackled shackled, and it's Jesus that gets all the glory. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come on us and help us do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.